everyone and welcome to another episode of In The Lead. In The Lead, as you know, presents extraordinary leaders who speak about their leadership journeys to be able to inspire you. This episode presents one more inspiring personality. I am delighted to be able to present to you Pankajam Sridevi. Pankajam Sridevi is the Managing Director of Commonwealth Bank of Australia in India. She has over 32 years of rich experience in diverse segments ranging from manufacturing to technology to banking domains. Pankajam is passionate about building a learning and innovative organization through continual improvement and transformation where employees build their careers and provide exemplary customer service. Pankajam has spearheaded the implementation of robotic process automation in the banking sector from 2015. She was also instrumental in implementing machine learning into critical processes within the banking industry. Pankajam is passionate about diversity and inclusion in the workplace and keen to get more women, persons with disability and LGBTQ persons in the workplace. A winner of many awards herself, Pankajam has been conferred with prestigious honours such as BPM Achiever in Global India Award for delivering business impact through technology transformation, NCPEDP Helen Keller Award for making a difference to communities, and she has also recently won the Woman CEO of the Year from GISR Foundation in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting Pankajam Sridevi, Managing Director of Commonwealth Bank of Australia in India. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction. All right, lovely. So Pankajam, first of all, thank you for agreeing to speak to us. Um, as you know, uh, we have a list of questions we want to be able to ask you. But first of all, I'm going to start at the start by saying, how are you doing today? And are you excited to be on the show? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I think it's a privilege. I'm very excited to be on the show, especially, you know, after getting to know all the great things that you have done in your career and your intent to educate everyone on leadership. That's very noble and very apt for current world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Pankajam. Pankajam, I'm going to start at the start. You know, you have an absolutely fascinating aspect to your own journey where you've been at the vanguard of robotics process automation, um, you know, through your career, you know, across functions, across geographies to improve processes um, and to be able to uh, basically uh, increase uh, and make automation really innovative within organizations. So tell us a bit about that. That is very, very fascinating. And I know you've spoken about it before, but we absolutely want to start the show by talking about digital leadership and why digital leadership is right, ought to be at the vanguard of anyone who wants to lead in the 21st century. So, you know, nine, 10 years back, um, you know, when there is a volume increase that any organization has to manage by virtue of say uh, uh, anything that you do at the customer end, you know, so you're doing a campaign and you get more volumes from customers, more business from customers. And the only way to manage that was to add more people. And when you add freshers to do a job in banking, especially, you know, what happens is that it's like stepping into snow, it melts. Right. So I was looking at what is the other way of managing volume flexibility or managing volume variability 
Therefore, automation is really a business imperative. Today, you know, if you look at it, so we started with robotics process automation and then went into machine learning, artificial intelligence, etc., with the sole purpose of improving customer service. That's why I said it's a business imperative. Today, if you look at it, there's so much of progress in the technology area that digitization, end-to-end -end digitization is the norm. Trillions of dollars are spent across the world for automating processes end-to-end -end from the time that customer wants to do banking or wants to do any activity with a vendor or a supplier or a partner, we want digitization. It makes life very easy for customer. It makes, you know, data safe for customer. So it's all based on what the customer wants. And it also reduces the overall cost in an organization. So there's only positive side to digitization. There's only positive side to automation. And the fear that, you know, that people will lose jobs earlier is like totally wiped out now because people will find ways to reskill and find other jobs. So I think there's only positive side to digitization. And therefore, as a leader, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing technology. We cannot live without technology. And therefore, I think it's important to embrace and lead it so that, you know, the, the organizations that are formed in India can really add value to the parent organization, you know, and can really be an asset to the organization that has really formed this group in India. That has been my motivation to go after automation and digitization. Lovely. So well said. I'm going to move to another area of passion uh, for yourself. You are a very uh, active evangelist for diversity and inclusion. And, um, you know, most organizations are uh, working at, towards being able to create diverse and inclusive cultures. There's some, a uh, lot of progress yet to be made, but by and large, most organizations are aware of this agenda, want to work on it, want to be able to uh, sort of make the effort to be able to truly manifest equal opportunities. So I'm going to ask you about, uh, you know, you speak very actively around uh, women. And uh, since that's basically our low hanging fruit on diversity and inclusion, which is the gender diversity part, uh, you, 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 work, you, you work in the space, you speak around uh, mindsets that women must, must develop to be able to succeed in their careers. Tell us some more about, uh, you know, your evangelism around diversity and inclusion. So I think, you know, my basic principle is that any organization must replicate the community that is there outside, where the organization is located. So a community does not have only men. It has women. It has persons with disability. It has LGBT persons. It has veterans, returning moms. There is a lot of diversity in the community. An organization is successful only if you get the same diversity in the inside the group, because that's what brings different thoughts, different, different uh, innovation objectives. A lot of things happen in the organization. Now, as you said, gender diversity is spoken about for many years now because we have never got close to getting anywhere near male and female being at equal or 10% that females are less in an organization. That's a, that's really a dream, far-fetched dream. And the reason why I'm very, very passionate about it is because 
women are no less than men in doing any job that is needed to be done you know and that's about being include it's called as includability you know where you give a level playing field for everybody and that's exactly i'm not just evangelizing i'm making sure that the organization where i am working we get gender parity and it's very important for the success of the organization and it is being really fair to women and men and other communities it's just being fair and it's getting the best out of everyone so there is no difficulty in getting women it's very easy to get more male candidates because they are easily available in the market but women are available too so it's the effort that is needed if we do lip service it doesn't happen we cannot have any any kind of reservation because we want the best in the organization so it's neither reservation nor any other activity that we do is being conscious to find the women who can fit the job and that's possible that's definitely possible and i would urge leaders when they talk about diversity to make sure what is the diversity on their table it should start from there it should start from leadership having 50 50 male and female leaders on their table i do have that so i can proudly say that now but once we start that then the equation in the organization changes i think diversity is very important for the success of the organization it's a business imperative and we are giving a level playing field which is absolutely critical for the success of the community hence i'm very very passionate about it yes and it just shines through in the way in which you even responded to this question um you know a pankaja my must say uh you know in fact i read somewhere that you accounted for almost 70% of the targeted numbers within the organization on both women as well as specially abled in your previous assignment tell us a bit about that which is both especially the specially abled part because while gender is still something that most organizations are open to uh several organizations that appear committed to this agenda don't know where to start on being able to find specially able people there's generally a perception that there is a supply challenge in terms of being able to find specially able people so tell me how the banks gone around doing this you i know you've done this very actively also in your previous assignments so tell us a bit about integrating specially able um uh, candidates uh, employees into the organization so you know uh, persons with disability uh, they are, they have lot of abilities but normally yeah. we look at their disability yeah so i myself you know i was biased all of us are biased even now i have lot of bias but mm. through learning from great leaders like shanti from enable india and raja from vishesh i've learned from them how to really eliminate the bias for example i can give you when i saw a guy with calipers coming and doing a test i'm like can he really type that was the bias i had in my mind but he was faster than anybody with hands so most of the time we look at the disability rather than the ability of the person and everybody is good at something we have to identify what that is and now you have engineers and bcom graduates and all of them and all we have to do is to include them and give segregated treatment to them from the time we look at their resume again this is not about any reservation 
If you reserve, then what happens? You don't get the best in the organization, into the organization. You have a duty to the customer. We are all here to serve the customer. So if you give segregated treatment for persons with disability, for example, somebody on a wheelchair might want more breaks than a person who's not on a wheelchair. Or somebody on a calipers may need some modification to the desk. So this is just giving equal opportunities to them. Somebody may not be speaking as fast as what you would like, but just listen and equip to their speed. And tell them that if you have not understood something, tell them that you have not understood. So these are small things that you do and you can hire persons with disability. It's my passion again because it is replicating the community into the organization. So in right. CBI, we have already hired eight people and we are looking to hire more. We are also taking the support of Srini and others from Pride to hire LGBT persons. So that's the purpose. That's the goal is to replicate the society and give them segregated treatment, which will give them equal opportunities to perform in the organization. Right. That's my passion. All right, lovely. So Pankajam, I'm going to pick on uh, your passion for integrating specially abled uh, employees into the organization. I read somewhere that you alone accounted for 70% of the target of integrating both women and specially abled into the organization in one of your previous assignments. So I'm going to ask you a bit about this because there is a, a challenge around or a perceived challenge around the supply of enough qualified specially abled people. So tell us a bit about how organizations can go around this. Uh, what is the philosophy of being able to bring in specially abled? Tell us something about your own journey because you've been so successful at being able to bring them in. So when we look at persons with disability, we always look at their disability and not their ability. But honestly, everybody is good at something. And every one of us has a disability. If you look at it, you know, I have a disability. I cannot read without my glasses. That doesn't mean I'm, I will not become a managing director. I find a way to equalize or neutralize that. Yeah. That's the same thing. That's the kind of environment we have to provide persons with disability. We have to find them. There is no doubt we have to find them. The supply is there, but we have to match it to the demand. We have to be very different with them, give them segregated treatment from the time we start interviewing. I can give you an example of my own biases. There are a lot of biases in the society for persons with disability. When I saw somebody who was with calipers, no hands, but they have calipers. The first question that came to my mind is, can they type as fast as others? But the so-called others with both hands were typing less with less speed than him. So it's a yeah. bias like that. We have a lot of biases. If we keep aside the bias and interview them or test them for their abilities i'm sure we can get persons with disability into our organization and we have to sensitize the team around us because everybody needs to understand what the person with disability can do and include them into the organization again it's about giving equal opportunities and i and as i said my leadership philosophy is to build the community outside in the organization therefore we need persons with disability and they bring resilience into the organization. What I have seen is to live, they need so much of resilience that that resilience, they bring it to the work also. So I'm very proud of hiring persons with disability and LGBT persons. 
and leaders like Shanti of Enable India and Raja of Vishesh has really helped me to uh, to remove my biases. Not that I don't have them now. It comes occasionally because we continually learn to get rid of biases. And once we learn that from the experts, I think it's very easy to include them in the organization. And I'm very proud of such achievements in my career and also in the organizations where I worked. It's not just me. It's a group of people around me who supports me in this in these uh, requirements that we have for the society. Thank you. Thank you for that response. It's just everything you said right now, which is so inspiring. And I'm hoping that uh, those who are pursuing these agendas inside their own organizations are taking copious notes on all the wonderful things that you just said in your response right now. I want to move this conversation, Pankajam, to another area of passion for yourself, which is to be able to uh, grow, uh, you know, home grow leaders as compared to hiring leaders from outside. So tell us about this. This is often a dilemma within organizations and a lot of leaders struggle with this, which is, uh, you know, especially to, uh, you know, when you've grown, when you've seen people in junior positions within the organization to sometimes not take them very seriously as you're going along or even as the uh, strategic agendas around the organization change uh, to sometimes find yourself out of depth or out of gravitas in terms of the quality of leaders that you've bred inside the organization. So tell me some more on this philosophy because it's ever so important, especially given the way in which we are poised in disruptive times. So when we hire talent, you know, we look at their potential more than the performance. We look at the potential and we hire people for future potential. And what do we tell our candidates? We'll tell them, we'll show them a career path in the organization. And why I'm so passionate about homegrown leaders is because we are just meeting the expectations that we set on the people, you know, by telling them here is a career path. This is an organization that is growing. You will grow along with the organization. And it's just meeting that expectations, nothing more than that. And I also think that we have potential assessment, you know, and we say that you have depth potential. Now you have to go broader and we coach them to take broader, um, you know, get to broader potential. And then we put them in succession plan and say, you're in my succession. And when I do all that, it's only right that we hire people uh, less from outside, but have more homegrown leaders. That doesn't mean that we will not hire anybody from the market. We may need an external view that needs to come in or new blood that needs to come in. Then we have to go and hire leaders from outside. But I've seen recently in very big companies that this is really not working also. It's a risk for the organization and risk for the person who's joining us when they come in senior leadership. And it also depends on the way the organization is building. So if you look at CBA, every, every leader is new because we are building an organization. So it depends on the positioning of the organization, the number of years the organization is in, etc., to decide on that. However, the junior resources that we hire or the junior talent that we hire, I firmly believe that we have to grow their career and give them bigger roles and hand it over to them when you leave and when you take another opportunity. I think that is the primary responsibility of a leader. And that is the legacy that I would like to leave. And that's the legacy 
I have left in earlier organizations. And I Lovely. think that is the right perspective. Super. I want to take this um, forward into talking about your own formative years professionally, uh, Pankajam. I think there's going to be a treasure trove to learn from um, in that space. So tell us a bit about your own coaching moments, you know, so times when you were coached, um, you were mentored. What from there uh, do you still hold close to heart? Is there a story? Are there stories that you can share uh, with our viewers on your own growing years professionally and uh, coaching moments, uh, times when you got coached, times when you got mentored? See, I, I must tell you that, you know, I moved from manufacturing to technology and that was a big move. I was totally not aware of what happens in a technology organization that you'll be on bench and then you have to be interviewed by a customer. That was unheard of in manufacturing. But the purpose of movement was really to get more salary because my husband and me, both of us were in manufacturing. We were not getting enough to buy a house. I just meant a two bedroom house or a flat. So I thought that I have to, one of us have to earn more. And my husband was very passionate about manufacturing. So I decided to move and I moved into technology and I suddenly realized that the entire environment is different. You know, I could have given up and gone back to a manufacturing organization, but I thought I've made the decision I have to survive. So I think the first thing that I always have in my mind is bring the best out of you and don't give up and also manage ambiguity all through my career. That's what I've done. I have taken ambiguous jobs. It really excites me. A job that is very straightforward and, you know, you just come and do it every day and it is very monotonous. That doesn't excite me. So, so I search for ambiguity in jobs and I try to solve it. And I've always been successful. And that's something that I've always held close to my heart. And the other thing is many a times I put the organization ahead of me. You know, sometimes you will think I have to put myself ahead. I have done that. But most of the time I put the organization ahead of me. And if there is a requirement in the organization, I have taken those roles. And those roles have allowed me to grow. Now, two coaching moments, you know, there are so many coaches that I am indebted to. But one coach that I had a mentor, he told me one thing. It was a he. He told me one thing is that, Pankajan, hire people who are better in potential than you. Have people who are better than you. Don't feel insecure. Because only then your job is secure. Unless you have good people around you, I can assure you that your job is not secure. I think I have taken it as golden words. And every time I hired someone, I used to benchmark and check whether that person is way ahead of me in a couple of years or even now. That's been one of my philosophy with a mentor. And recently in the, in the current organization, I'm mentored by a person called uh, Amy. She's a, it's a woman, so I was excited. And I was telling her that, you know, I've been having a very busy life in my earlier organization. And now suddenly I think I'm not contributing, you know. And then she told me, tell me what you're doing. So I said, I'm trying to hire thousand technologists into CBA and she said holy moly you don't think that is work enough and then I that was a big coaching moment for me because I realized that I'm comparing my earlier job with my new job and there is no comparison because I have signed up to a new job 
and I have to fulfill the okay, job. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I think again we're having a challenge with the sound. So can we just go back a bit? If you can talk about just this Amy bit because we weren't able to hear that. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Much better. So the next coaching moment that I really remember is, or remember and hold close to my heart is from Amy, uh, who coached me for a multiple weeks in this organization. And I was telling her that, you know, I'm feeling that I'm not contributing to the organization. That was like six months or seven months after I joined CBA. And she asked me, what is your prerogative for this organization? And I said, I have to hire 1,000 technologists in 12 months. And she said, holy moly, that's a very big job and a very big uh, kind of, um, you know, opportunity for you and a, and a big responsibility. And suddenly I realized that I am comparing my earlier job and the responsibilities that I had in a very stable job to the new job that I'm currently signed up to. And I realized that that's not the right way to do it when you're in a new job. So that is another coaching moment. And that one message from Amy is making me carry on and uh, be very happy with what I'm doing and realize that I have a lot to do in this organization. So these are the two great coaching moments that I've had, which I carry with me. Lovely. So Pankajam, I want to take this conversation back to diversity and inclusion and ask you one more time, what should leaders do to be able to move beyond tokenism, beyond lip service, to actually demonstrate serious commitment to diversity and inclusion? I know you do that every day. So tell us a bit about what you believe leaders must do to be able to seriously demonstrate commitment to this agenda. So, you know, the top of the house must definitely show the passion for diversity. However, we have to build a group of people who have the same passion. So it's like creating groundswell by making everybody understand why inclusion is very important for an organization, especially like us, which is growing. You know, you learn a lot from each other. Again, you learn a lot from replication of the community. And I call these people who are supportive of diversity and inclusion as foxes. It's not a negative connotation. It's a positive connotation. It means a group of people who will go and get things done. Now, we cannot put a number to it, honestly, but we need a number. We need a tracking because without an objective and a goal, you cannot achieve something that is hard to achieve. And we have to start from the recruiting team. You know, it's not just the leadership that is very important to get uh, persons with disability or women into the organization, it must start with the recruitment team. So we have to make it clear to the recruitment team what is our objective. We have to sensitize the hiring team what is the objective. And then we have to really hire women. So there is no reservation for women. But if you look at the numbers and say, okay, I've hired a GM, a male candidate. I have one more GM in the organization. Can that be a female candidate? And I'm not, again, I want to reiterate that it is not reservation, but I look for male and female candidates and make sure that is a, that there is a strong female candidate and a possibility for a hire. So it's a lot of interventions, but I think groundswell is very important and the tone from the 
top is important right well said i'm going to move this uh, in the direction of change and innovation which is another area um, that you constantly talk about and uh, cannot underline change and the ability to manage change um, and use opportunities for innovation particularly in these disruptive times tell us a little more about uh, leaders who are committed to driving change what should leaders do to become more innovative how do you spot opportunities for innovation uh, tell us a little more i'm sure our audiences are going to gain from your immense um, sort of experience and your very illustrious work in the space of managing change successfully you know i think change is hard all of us you know we like to be people with a fixed mindset persona so for example when i go and sit in a in my home you know when i sit in the drawing room i always go and sit in one corner i don't know why but that's like a fixed mindset person i drink from the same cup coffee every day i feel comfortable so that's called a fixed mindset persona but a growth mindset is about learning so if we continuously you know kind of bring in that learning in an organization and ask people to aspire aspire like irrationally you know rational aspiration does not need any change but irrational aspiration for our customers irrational aspiration for our organization irrational aspiration for ourselves that calls for change and i think as senior leaders we have to give the big picture we have to tell the story of why the change is important whatever is the change and then the execution has to be done by the team we have to listen we have to listen very carefully and i call it as listening to learn if leaders don't listen from the ground on what a change means to them i think the change will not be successful and when you leave the organization the change also leaves with you in whatever way it is even deployment of a technology change needs everyone to buy into it and the leader to listen to things that they will not feel comfortable to listen so if somebody tells me automation doesn't work i won't feel comfortable but i will listen to them why are they saying that what is the reason for that and bring them along you know if you have too many detractors when you are bringing a change it will not happen but detractors will be there but we want more promoters in our organization and for that we have to give the big picture and always hear what is being spoken on the ground and i think we also have to get involved in the change like parachuting into what's happening and parachuting back it is called as the balcony view and the dance floor view so leaders have to be in the balcony most of the time but definitely on the dance floor and i think we also have to recognize people who are readily you know susceptible or they are ready for change so they are the people again you have to identify people who become promoters very easily and they will be able to create that change of chain of promotion and i think that's the way i've always done big changes in the organizations that i work for you're right um so pankajam your your leadership is very expansive and full of positive influence tell us a bit about a failure experience you know the time that you failed and what were the lessons learned so you know in early part of my career i still remember you know i was 
responsible for some designing aspects and i made a mistake in the design of a very small sticker onto a onto a product and uh, because of that sticker you know just imagine a sticker going wrong and the entire set of products not been able to ship i think that mistake i'll never forget because it impacted the billing of that organization and it had lot of impact cascading impact mm. and what i learned from that is that any oversight by a person who is working in an organization oversight which could have been avoided can have cascading effects in the organization Right. so you know i try and and also the focus that you have to give on everything that you are going to do is not going to be the same you have to focus on the 20 activities that only you can focus or only you can add value maximum the others has to be delegated and that's why i said that the best leader is one who finds people who are better than them so that they can delegate and be at peace and do the work that they can absolutely concentrate and do and that's what i learned from that failure but all through my career i had lots of failures if i talk about my failures it will take another one hour so maybe we restrict to this failure that i remember very clearly in my mind right but thank you for sharing that i think that's a very powerful example of failure just understanding the ramifications of one small error and that uh, you know kind of you become more quality conscious you just become more empathetic actually of anything that you're doing and the implication that's going to have on the entire organization so thank you for sharing that um i'm going to move forward to ask you about your leadership philosophies and i know it sounds like i'm asking you a repeat question because you've almost called out so many leadership philosophies in your responses but if you were to crystallize your two or three key leadership responsible uh, philosophies if you were to crystallize two or three key leadership philosophies what would these be i think i don't know whether to call it philosophy but i think what i believe in you know uh, is be a person first and then a professional mm. you have to connect with people you know and then your professional side will be accepted by everyone and one of the things to connect to people is to talk about your vulnerabilities and show that you are a vulnerable person just because you are on the top of the organization does not mean that you don't have vulnerabilities you are a human you you have made mistakes so i always talk about my vulnerabilities if i feel like crying i'll cry it's okay that's what i am so being the person you are and showing your vulnerability is one of the principles that always i have i don't hide my emotions from anybody especially the team that i work with the second one is to really grow people in the organization you know today i'm not bothered about my career i'm bothered about the careers of people who work for me and i want senior leaders in this organization to bother about me that's the way i look at it you know and that's another principle of mine and i have spoken in earlier um, kind of interviews that i believe in being humble when i am very very successful and being fearless when i am making a mistake i want to own it i want to say that i have made a mistake and i want to say that it's okay to make mistakes 
and I want to make sure that the organization and the team that that is working with me and that I am working with does not repeat that mistake. So, you know, being very brave and fearless when you're facing a situation that is not comfortable for you is another principle of mine. I think these are lovely and beautiful principles. So I'm just going to try and recap them, uh, you know, for the viewers. You know, you spoke about being authentic, bringing your real self to work and your whole self to work and to be able to show emotions as you're feeling them. And I'm sure that this evokes so much of trust. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, with what you're saying, there will be oxytocin being generated galore in the, in the, in the heads of people, you know, the trust hormone really. So this is, uh, you know, beautiful, which is show your emotions. Never mind if you're the leader, if you're not feeling good, if you're, if you're feeling sad um, and if you're feeling glad and if you're feeling mad, is it all right to be able to actually come with who you really are so people are dealing with the real you? Um, you know, you spoke about nurturing and that, and I, what I loved about what you said on nurturing is that uh, you want to nurture other people's careers and you believe people who are senior than you within the organization ought to be interested in nurturing yours. So it's the virtuous teaching cycle, really, and nurturing cycle uh, of leadership that you're really talking about. And then you spoke about being humble, especially when you're successful. I think this is so invaluable, so invaluable uh, to remain grounded, especially when things are going good. And I loved especially what you said about making a mistake and being fearless when you've gone wrong. And I think this is incredible insight, really, which is to become especially fearless uh, when things go wrong uh, and especially courageous when you've made a mistake. I think you can really transform an organization if more people embed these principles. They're really, really invaluable. And what a treasure trove in just a few minutes. And thank you for doing this. This is precisely why we've created this platform calling the lead. You know, because, you know, each of these are gems, really. And, you know, they're available so easily to people who are listening to the show. So thank you ever so much, uh, Pankajam. I'm going to, with that, uh, feel encouraged to go on to the next question, uh, which is really around uh, what would what advice would you give young professionals at this time? I mean, these are very unique, very distinctive times of upheavals in which to start your careers. A lot of them starting their careers remote, not having a chance for visibility, to build relationships, to be... Um, basically, you know, be available to opportunities. So lots of insecurities to join an organization when you don't really meet people or you haven't really met people yet. Uh, tell me a bit about your advice to young people who are starting their careers, especially uh, remotely in these times. So I think the uh, really the, the responsibility to make young people who are joining virtually get connected to the organization is with the leaders. You know, leaders have to put additional effort to make sure that we get give comfort to the new people who are joining our bandwagon. But to the newcomers or to the people who want a growth in their career, you know, and be successful, I think one advice is, is to get relevant. So if I look at my young days, the technology and the manufacturing sector, etc. was moving very slowly and competition was less. So, you know, you could learn at your pace. But in today's environment, there's a lot of opportunity. The entire technology is moving at a pace. Sorry. <laughs> the lights have gone off. So. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> I'm looking at the time, you know, because time is the only yeah. constraint. But I think we are good with time. Yeah. yeah we're, we're good. Time. We're going fast. Yeah. yeah. 
So, um, okay, you had asked the question. So I think, um, you know, we are in a virtual environment. Okay. No, no, I, I got the question. Okay, all right, okay. It's absolutely true that we are in a virtual environment. The The responsibility for getting the youngsters and the youth and the new joiners to get connected with the organization is more with the with the leaders than with the youngsters who are joining us. But my message to the youngsters is that you have to remain relevant. I think it's important not only for youth, but also for me, you know, at all levels, we have to remain relevant. When I was very young and I was, um, you know, in my early stages of my career, the change that happens in technology, in the manufacturing sector, in the industrial sector, etc., was quite slow. So there was less competition. There was less uh, knowledge requirement in a short period of time. But today, all these things are moving at supersonic speed and there is so much to, it's hard to catch up. There's a lot to learn, but hard to catch up. Therefore, I would say remain relevant. And, you know, you must contribute to the organization. Therefore, look at what you can do for the organization and learn. You know, just don't stick to your job. You can look at on either sides and see what's going on and contribute wherever possible. Because when you do that, you are continually learning. And learning is a must. Learn, learn and learn. That's the message that I would like to give. And enjoy your job. If you do not enjoy your job, you can't bring your soul to work. You cannot leave your soul in the car and walk into the organization. That doesn't help. So to bring your soul to the work, you must enjoy your job. You must know what you're doing. You must know that you're learning. You must definitely be a change agent. These are all musts today in an organization and manage ambiguity. There's a lot on your, uh, on your shoulders, friends, but... That's the way the world is moving. So let us move along with it. So well said. Um, you know, I want to at this point, uh, you know, bring up the, the topic of compassion in our conversation. And, you know, especially the last 18 odd months with everything that the organizations have experienced uh, literally across the world. I, you know, many organizations have struggled with basically the compassion dilemma or the empathy dilemma. And what I see is that either there is a tendency to swing the pendulum towards more compassion than accountability, or sometimes there is a huge struggle between how do you still remain accountable even as you want to really be compassionate, but you still have the compulsions of business. So I want to, uh, you know, I, I kind of coined this phrase called soldiering on, which is notwithstanding what's going on, uh, still having the capacity to be able to get uh, people to rally around the goals of the organization and remain focused on what we still need to achieve in the business, notwithstanding what's going on around. And which does not mean that we disregard what's going on around. We have deep compassion to be able to, and these have been incredible times for most leaders to be able to revisit the drawing board on their own leadership styles. And I know many, many uh, individuals, many leaders have admitted to the fact that they've actually um, sort of changed as leaders. They've changed their styles of leadership. They've learned how to lead in a different, new, more compassionate way. But I want your response. Response. I want your response on compassion during these times and this tendency of the pendulum 
to either swing in the direction of compassion at the cost of accountability or to swing in the direction of accountability at the cost of compassion. So tell us a bit about that. So compassion must come naturally. Sorry. Take a break. Compassion must come naturally to leaders during this unprecedented times. So we have our team members who have lost family, close family, neighbors, friends. I myself lost family. So if there is no compassion, then you have to write yourself out that you are not a leader. So it has to come naturally. And what I have seen is when we show empathy and when we work on the well-being of our employees, there is always accountability on the employees to come back and serve the customer. There is no way we are all humans. And humans will always think of, what did I get? I got empathy from the organization. Now I am healthy. I have to put back my worries and start performing better and show more accountability in the organization. In my organization, I have seen only that behavior. Where there has been a balance of empathy, there has been a lot of focus on well-being, and the employees coming back with more force to really support the bank. And there could be exceptions, you know, but many a times we make exceptions the rule. There could be exceptions where there could be some people who are not like that, but definitely the majority or the far majority are accountable people who will come back uh, from their bad times and really make a difference in the organization. And I think empathy and empathy and compassion is absolutely the leadership style of today. Leadership style that is needed for the society and for employees in the current environment. I don't have any doubt in my mind on that. I myself need compassion, you know, as a leader. So when every phone call that came to me from my parent organization, CBA in Australia, gave me comfort. That doesn't mean that I will take leave and sit at home. That is not what I will do. And that's not what the team will do in India. I'm very, very confident about that. Right. I think with that, uh, Pankajam, I, you know, we come to the close of this wonderful conversation. I could really talk to you. Uh, forever because you know you have such incredible gems in your responses um, I'm going to end by asking you a question which is very close to heart and I'm really using this opportunity to be able to use your wisdom and your immense uh, experience and uh, you know the fact that you're so seasoned across large organizations that you've led to be able to get your response around um, social responsibility and uh, when I ask this question I really mean what can what can a leader do uh, to be able to role model uh, the fact that business organizations have a responsibility towards society. And what I mean by that is um, that most individuals within organizations believe that social responsibility is something that organizations do as part of CSR. Uh, there's, you know, I don't have to do anything about this individually. The rest, somebody else is going to take care of it. And we've all created the somebody else's responsible philosophy, you know, especially when it comes to the society. Um, some of us find uh, comfort in the fact that each one needs to do their jobs well. And I'm doing mine because I'm employed by an organization and I owe my, uh, my honesty, my commitment, my contribution to this organization. And the question around social responsibility still looms large. 
So what is the opportunity, A, on being able to shape society differently if you're part of a business organization? And how can leaders role model making that difference to society or demonstrating the power you have as a business organization to be able to shape a society which is, let's say, equal, uh, you know, has lesser evils, uh, you know, is, is, is more fairer, is balanced. And to use your word, and you kind of, I think, almost Freudian slip, you said, you, you actually coined a word in your previous response where you said empathy, which is really empathy and compassion. So how do you kind of role model this uh, within an organization, this responsibility towards the society and the sheer power we have, uh, notwithstanding whether we work for a business organization, to indeed shape society differently? So, you know, business organizations in a, in a location or a country are really taking advantage of that, uh, has some advantage, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So business organizations have advantage from society. Oh, why am, what, what is happening? So, no worries. Uh, okay. No, no, I, I'm just, um, um, you know, this corporate social responsibility is something that is talked of a lot in the social circles, you know. And I think, um, you know, the advantage that the government of India is, has given as a guidance really helps us to allocate funds for cost, for the causes that we care for. So again, it, this is a business imperative and a leadership imperative. There are two ways of doing it. One is just, just comply with the guidance and with the policy and say that we have complied by the policy and just give it off to the prime minister's relief fund. By that, you are really complying with the policy. The other way is to involve our organization, volunteer, have a look at what we can do in the society and be able to really fund those programs. I really believe in the latter. Because then we also learn about what's happening in the society. We get a lot of insights into things that we can do to improve the well-being of not only us, but of the society. And if there are causes that we really are passionate about, for example, I'm passionate about educating um, you know, children. I'm very passionate about sustainability. And I think the organization will be passionate about some causes, you know, and work for it. And if we really invest in those causes, and if we as a group contribute more than the fund that we need to give, give out, then there is an impact to the society. And if organizations can really, uh, um, you know, form groups, which has never happened, I've tried that earlier, where 10 organizations come together and work on one program, then the impact and the scale that we can create is more. So I think the call to leaders from me is to say that let's, let's combine hands and bring out an impact to what we want to do in Karnataka, for example, where CBA is located. But yes. if we do that, I think the impact is more and employees have to be involved employees have to make the decision as to where we will really fund for corporate social responsibility, then it will be another movement in the organization to make a difference to the society. That's what I believe as a leader. Right. 
So I think with that, I'll just squeeze in one last question. I'm so tempted to ask you this. You've had such an illustrious career and, you know, you've been managing director of two large organizations. Tell me what advice would you give the younger Pankajam Sridevi? Aspire. Okay. Do not think that humility and arrogance go together. Humility and confidence goes together. So if you're confident, does not mean you're humble. And I think, again, you know, I brought in that irrational aspiration. I want to tell women to aspire irrationally because there are a lot of biases. And if we wait for the biases to disappear, we will be out of job by then. I want women to think for yourself, to live for yourself a lot, even though you're part of a society that expects a lot from you. But if you wish to have a career and become the managing director of an organization, you must do it. So you have to build a support system that will help you in the things that you can get from the support system. You have to focus on what you think is important for your family as well as what you think is important for you. You don't need to be worried about what your neighbor tells. I don't worry about that, to be honest. I worry about what what is important for me. And I think that's my advice to young women. Aspire and work very closely with the organization to grow and make your objective very clear. If you want to become the managing director, say that. I want to end with a story. So there was a girl who was working with me. Her name is Meenakshi Ayer. A couple of years back, there was a question posed to her, what is your future role? And she was constantly looking at me, you know. And I'm, I told Meenakshi, if you want to become the managing director of this organization, you can say that. When you become the managing director, I may not be there. I may be in another job. So you're not taking away my job. You're taking the position of managing director of this organization. And, you know, I'm so pleasantly pleased to tell you that she became the managing director in Standard Chartered Bank. So what I'm saying is you should not be Pankajams. You need not be, but you can be Meenakshis and aspire for what you want to achieve. And it goes yeah. on. Yeah, so well said. Thank you so much. Uh, Pankajam, this has been such a brilliant conversation and so invigorating. I feel so inspired. I'm sure our audiences feel the same way. Ladies and gentlemen, Pankajam Devi, Managing Director of Commonwealth Bank of Australia. Um, thank you so much, Pankajam. Couldn't thank you enough for agreeing to do this. And I know this is going to be a wonderful treat for our audiences. Thank you. So one correction, you have to say Commonwealth Bank of Australia in India. I'm oh, the managing director of Commonwealth Bank of Australia and India. I hope you can correct that. Yes, so I thank you. Fine. You asked a lot of brilliant questions out of scope also, Dr. Sujaya. <laughs> you asked a lot of out of scope questions. That's right, I hope I, I reached uh, to your expectations. Yes, thank you. Thanks for asking all these much. questions. Very much. We'll just do the last part again so that I can, um, you know, if you just stay for me to be able to call this out as um, Commonwealth Bank of Australia in India. That's how you want to say it? Okay, yes, yes. All right. Okay, so ladies and all right, ladies and gentlemen, Pankajam Sridevi, the Managing Director of Commonwealth Bank of Australia in India. Thank you ever so much, Pankajam, for agreeing to do this for us. I know this has been extremely inspiring for our audiences. Thank you very, very Thank much. Thank you.
Thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Sujay. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the wonderful questions. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you for watching this episode of In The Lead. Do remember to like, share and subscribe this episode of In The Lead. Thank you for watching.